0: Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today we'll stop in Dallas to speak with Nick Angstad of Locked On Mavericks about the struggles Dallas is having this season. We go to New Orleans to speak with Jake Madison of Locked On Pelicans about the trade rumors around the guards and the beginning of the Stan Van Gundy era. And lastly we go to Boston to speak with John Corrales of Locked On Celtics about the impact of the Marcus Smart injury on the Celtics team who is uh, struggling to put it together at the moment. It's all coming up, the biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA.
1: Are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
0: Welcome back to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, and I'm the lead analyst at Basketballmonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. Six weeks into the NBA, things are starting to settle. Some things aren't starting to settle. We're getting players returning from injury. Teams are disappointing us. Teams surprising us. We've got some stuff to talk about, so let's get to it. Now I'm joined by one of the hosts of the Locked On Mavericks podcast, Nick Angstadt, is here with me. Nick, why do the Mavs suck?
2: (laughs) And they do, Josh Lloyd. Oh man, they do right now. Uh, Well, they suck because they lost five games in a row and because... There's, it's just every single thing that could go wrong for this Mavericks team has gone wrong so far, right? So for the last you know couple of weeks, we've been saying, well, let's just wait till everybody comes back, wait till everybody gets in the lineup. They were missing Porzingis for nine games, to start the season. They missed Dorian Finney-Smith and Josh Richardson, probably two of their best defenders on the team and two starters. They were missing them for about three weeks. Maxi Klebo is out, and he's still going to be out. He's actually going to play Monday. We we think so. When you're listening to this on Monday, he should be playing tonight, but. They were missing Max. He's still missing him. Dwight Powell was out as well. And so they're just missing all these different guys. Luca missed a game. Tim Hardaway Jr. Missed a game. Uh, Jalen Brunson was out for a little bit. And it was just all these guys have just been out due to COVID and due to just random injuries and rest and all that. And so they're missing all those guys. Well, now they have them back and they just get absolutely destroyed by the Jazz twice in a row. And it didn't, and without Donovan Mitchell, and it just didn't even look like they made any big adjustments or anything like that. And so, uh, it was one of the lowest points of this franchise I think of the last couple of years since they got Luca because it seems like they've been on this rise, right? You get Luca, then the first year's kind of rough then they trade for Porzingis at the end of the year. It's like oh man, it's so exciting. Next year they're better than most people expected I think They get to the, the playoffs they take the next or the uh, the Clippers the six games. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, they're going to take another step this year. And so now they have a losing record. They lose those two games in order to Utah after the game, Luca Donchie just comments. We had him all over locked on Mavs over the weekend. Luca's comments about it being terrible and he's never felt this way. And he, you know, it's all about effort and he thinks that they can get better, but there's just something wrong with this team. It was a real low point for the, for the team. Uh, Just looking at the way that they're playing, they're getting absolutely destroyed teams killing them from three teams, beating them to rebounds. A lot of it, like Luca said, was just effort. And so there's a lot of factors going into this for sure. They're finally, hopefully on Monday, going to be playing with their full team for the first time this season. So I think it should start getting back on track. Uh, They may need to make a move, though. The three-point shooting is the worst in the NBA. They're 30th in the league. And so they might need to make some kind of move. But, it, I mean, it is what it is. They kind of just have to play out of it at this point.
0: At the start of the season, they thought maybe they could push to the top four. Luca was the MVP favorite. He has been good. I wouldn't say that he's necessarily taken his game to significant levels above where he was last year. Do you think that's fair?
2: Yeah, I think that he's the whole team really in in, in different aspects has taken a step forward in some ways and taken a couple steps back in other areas, right? Like Luca his three point shooting has been really bad to start the season and worse than last year, even. And so he's taking a step back in that and he's even admitted it. he needs to make better decisions and, and things like that. Clutch offense is still as bad as it was last year. Maybe not as bad as it was last year. But Luca has added this mid-range game to his, you know, to his game. And these these mid-range shots, these little turnaround pull-up jumpers, they're a little Dirk-esque in some of these cases. And so he's added that to his game. So that's like the step forward he took. And his defense was pretty good to start the season, too. It's been, you know, the effort hasn't been there as of late, but he's been a pretty decent defender this year. Almost, dare I say, almost average to a slightly above average defense for for Luca. And so he's taken steps forward in those areas. Passing has been incredible guys aren't, aren't hitting shots. So his assist numbers don't really reflect that, but he's taken a couple steps forward in those areas taken back in the, you know, scoring at the rim has been down a little bit. His, his three point shooting is definitely down. And uh, yeah, so those are kind of the areas where it seems like it's, it's, it's about where it was last year. Right. I don't, I don't think that, and the team's not good. So you're not going to, you're not going to put him up at the top of MVP standings right now based on how the team's playing.
0: Answer me this, and then maybe this is just for my own personal um, you know, curiosity, but Porzingis comes back and plays big minutes straight away, plays in a back to back immediately 32 minutes, 33 minutes in the back to back. And you go, oh, that's weird. Like, we're four games in, he's playing his usual minute load straight away. He's playing in a back-to-back, which, honestly, I didn't think would happen until March, maybe. I thought they'd be really cautious. Then the next two back-to-backs, he has to sit. Why do you think the change in the, I guess, in the medical um, proceed, not the procedure, the, the medical um, thought process on his uh, game here? Because to do it straight away, did they just make a mistake early on? Did they, did they not like his recovery from it? Because to do it straight away and then go, well, now we're actually going to have to pull back and have to rest him. That's not encouraging to me.
2: Yeah, th- this whole thing about Porzingis, his whole season has been confusing, slash, disappointing, slash, you know, any other emotions you can have that are negative. Porzingis coming back from the, the meniscus, you know, injury, he was ready to go by the beginning of the season, but the Mavericks wanted to take it really cautious. They held him out for a little bit longer. Porzingis kept pushing them and pushing them to say, Hey, play me. I'm ready. Like I can play right now if you guys want me to play. And he was like, I'll, I'll respect what coaches say, but he's pushing to play. Carlisle was saying it every day. Borzingis thinks he can play right now. He's pushing to play, but we're going to hold him out a little bit longer. So I think what the Mavericks thought, and this is just me speculating, is that they are going to hold him out longer than they needed to to give him enough rest and enough, like, recovery time in order that he could come back and play minutes right away. Plus, you had the, the added fact of, you know, that that's – that first back-to-back that he played, the second of the back-to-back was against Toronto and they kind of needed a win. The Mavericks were six and seven there. They wanted to get a win there. And um, that, that's a game you had. You had Maxie, Dwight Powell, J- Josh Richardson, and uh, Dorian Vinny Smith all out. And so they're missing a bunch of guys. They needed, you know, they needed bodies and they're excited to have Porzingis back. They had held him out enough. And so they're like, well, let's see if we can get away from it. And he had a decent game played about, you know, played over 30 minutes in that game. And then, he, st- he started just not he he wasn't he hasn't been playing the same level of of that we saw at the end of last year and even into the playoffs. He just he's shying away from contact. His defense is just not there. His timing's really off. His three-point shooting's been terrible to start the year. And so I wonder if they also saw some of that and was like, "Oh, he may not be as ready as we thought." That's my guess on this, but it is very weird to look at it especially from the outside and say, "Well, this guy came back from surgery, And they play him in that first back-to-back, and then they sit him for the next two back-to-backs. And so it it is just very strange. And Porzingis' season so far has been really disappointing.
0: Last question for you here, Nick. Um, Josh Richardson for Seth Curry was a trade in the offseason. Do you reckon the Mavs might want to have that one back?
2: (laughs) It was a trade. That that definitely was a trade. I, I think that there's... You know, so I I said on Lockdown Mavs yesterday, if you look at the raw numbers, just you look at what the Mavericks averaged, you know, just straight up, you know, makes and attempts and percentage from from last year and this year, if you just compare those two numbers and you literally all you do is you add Seth Curry's three point numbers from last season. To the numbers from this year, it's that they are shooting just as well as they did last year. All the all the numbers basically add up. Like Curry is the, what he made two and a half last year and shot about five per game. And the Mavericks are shooting five less threes a game this year than they did last year. They're making about two and a half less, and the percentage is you know way down. The Mavericks were tenth in the NBA in three point shooting last year. They're thirtieth in the NBA in three point shooting this year. So if you just look at those numbers, yeah. I mean, they might just miss the one guy just so much. And I, the way I, I put it though is, the Mavericks have had regression and and some guys like like Jalen Brunson and Trey Burke and especially Maxi Kleba, who he's been out, but they've really taken a step forward and their three point shooting's been awesome. Tim Hardaway Jr. also been shooting the ball really well and other guys: Porzingis, Luca, Josh Richardson, uh, Dorian it. Tew- you know, to a degree, definitely, you know, James Johnson, these guys have all taken steps back and have not been very good three-point shooters. And so if you had an elite guy like Curry to come in and cover up some of those deficiencies from the other guys, then yeah, maybe they're, they're you know able to tread water and stay where they are with all these injuries and all these, these guys out with COVID, but they don't have that. And so they're really exposed in that sense. I still think they're going to have some of these guys come back and, it's going to take a little bit it'll may may take, may take a couple weeks for them to write the ship but their defense was really really good to start the season when they had when they had Josh Richardson, Dorian Finney-Smith and Maxikleba all together on the floor. If they can get all those guys back after a couple of weeks and they can really like get their defense back to a top 10 level in the NBA, I think they're going to be just fine because they'll figure out the offense at some point. But the defense is what really was going to take this team to another level. So that, that's just my take on it. Yes, they do miss Seth Curry. Yes, would it be great to have him with all these guys and shooting slumps? But I think for the long term, I think defensively, they're going to be a lot better for it.
0: Well, Nick, if everyone wants to hear your thoughts on the Mavs as the season continues, they can check you out over on Locked On Mavericks. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. Absolutely. This episode is brought to you by 1010. Now, you may have read about this in the New York Times, InStyle Magazine, or Forbes, and we're excited to tell you about it. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful commitment ring. They're available now exclusively at BlueNile.com, and when they're gone, they're gone, We all know that the diamond engagement ring is iconic. It's a timeless expression of the deepest commitment between two people, and with 1010, it's been beautifully re-envisaged in the hands of 10 modern designers, working exclusively with sustainably sourced diamonds. If you're ready to mark a special commitment or looking for a unique and meaningful way to celebrate Valentine's Day, you're definitely going to want to check this out. Again, this exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings is now available exclusively at BlueNile.com. We're already covering everything you need to know about the NBA, but what about the rest of sports? Now, the Locked On Podcast Network has you covered there as well with Locked On Today. It's hosted by the great Peter Bukowski, and it's all the sports news you need every morning in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get podcasts. Now, I'm joined by the host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast, Jake Madison, is here with me. Jake, the Stan Van Gundy era in New Orleans, probably hasn't got off to the start that uh, many were hoping. And now there's lots of talk and whispers and rumors and heaps of stuff coming out about players who may or may not be moved. And it's focusing a little bit heavily on the guards, Eric Bledsoe, Lonzo Ball, JJ Reddick in particular. First of all, what do we make of the beginning of the Van Gundy era?
1: Uh, Certainly disappointing. I don't think there's any other way to say it. He was brought in to kind of get this team playing strong defense, be a little bit more of... A coach with structure, a bit of a more of a disciplinarian compared to what they had in Alvin Gentry. And they've just come out looking flat. The defense has been abysmal, whether it's guarding the three point line or even when teams do get inside and score at the rim, they're giving up one of the highest shooting percentages there. So, you know, I, I think. Maybe we should have seen this coming to some extent, maybe not as bad as it's been when you don't have a, you know, an extended training camp, when these guys are on the road for 14 days but really only able to spend time in their hotel room. It's not really easy to build up cohesion and chemistry as a team, and you're seeing that kind of be a big part of the problem and why they're bad on defense.
0: Yeah, but I guess the thing is that every team's had those those concerns as well. Not, not yeah. every team's had new coaches, but... new coaches for teams hasn't always led to poor beginnings. There was some concern, I guess, when Van Gundy was hired, and maybe this wasn't well published, but it was a concern I had that maybe that what Stan does just isn't what is needed in the modern NBA. His last stint in Detroit wasn't great. And yeah, he was a really good coach back when he coached in Miami and Orlando in particular um, but maybe the game just isn't quite where it needs to be for him. And I had some criticism of the Pelicans of not looking to a little bit more of a modern type of coach. Um, do you think some of those – and the other thing that he's done is that the criticism, the Pelicans yeah, played well, and they played at one of the highest paces in the NBA last year. And now, Jake, I believe they're, if not the worst, they're probably luck- at the slowest, if not bottom three, bottom five in pace, and really change the identity of that team, which is something Stan's always going to do. Um do you think those criticisms that maybe his game or his coaching style is not as suited to what is needed in the modern NBA and that change to a from a fast-paced team to a slow team isn't what they needed with so many young guys out here?
1: I think I think all of those things are valid to what degree. I'm not entirely sure. Right. You know, it's still early on in the year. We're, we're 18 games in. I, I don't know if it's right to be like, oh, it's a whole big failure just yet. You know, there are only four games under 500. It's not been abysmal just yet. But th- I think there's some degree of truth in what you're saying in terms of him being maybe not what NBA players need. It was interesting because Alvin Gentry was that really laid back, relaxed head coach, player friendly, didn't really put him through practices. And Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson went to David Griffin after the season and said, we actually want kind of, the opposite of that. We want a guy who's got more structure, who has more accountability in here, who's going to throw us through uh, long practices to try and get us to be the best that we are. So even if the game's passed him by to some degree, this is what the players, the two best players on the team wanted, and you probably have to give it to them at that point. So I don't, you know, it, even if you're right on that, it kind of is what it is because the players wanted, and maybe that's what you kind of needed in a situation like this. In terms of, of the pace, I think there's some truth to that, but the Pelicans didn't exactly have a good offense last season, even when they were out and running, they were 17th last year, even though they were one of the fastest teams in the league that started on the defensive side of the ball, right? They were trying to run even after their opponents made a shot. That's not efficient transition. And when you look at them on a per point uh, or per player per possession basis, in terms of transition, they didn't actually rank highly in there. They just did it a lot. So, you know, I think slowing it down shouldn't affect them offensively that much because of it, because they just weren't good in pace and good in transition. last. Last year and they need to try and figure this out in the half court, which is probably why we're about to start talking trade rumors.
0: Yeah, we are talking trade rumors because, um, <laughs> Shams Sharania yeah, coming out and talking about Lonzo Ball and JJ Reddick being available. The thought has always been that Eric Bledsoe uh, would be available after coming across in that Drew Holiday deal, although his name hasn't really been mentioned that much recently. It's just sort of a bit of like you're putting two and two together to think, well, Bledsoe could be you know, on the move here at some point. How much credence do we give to these rumours? The JJ Redick one, I think, makes a ton of sense because it didn't really... Um, I thought he'd be traded in the offseason, to be honest. It didn't really seem to make sense with where the team was going, you're know, bringing in other guards. You know, and, and the fact that now he's apparently just can't shoot anymore, obviously doesn't give credence to him being a key part of their spacing. Um, so yeah, out of those three guards that I've mentioned, who is, do you think the most likely to be moved?
1: Yeah, I, I definitely think it's JJ Redick and I think there's credence to all three of them potentially being traded. And I think as the Pelican seasons got on off to this ro- rocky start, they're kind of looking at this and saying, if you're not part of the long term future, we can probably move on from you and let's try and get an asset or two right now for you and JJ Redick being you know the oldest guy on the team clearly not part of the future a shooter that some sort of playoff team would be interested even if he's shooting under 30 percent this year um is definitely going to be on the move there's just no doubt about that that at some point he's going to be traded he's been a scratch in the last two games that they've played due to coach's decision that usually kind of means a trade's coming also didn't help that he was like one for for 10 in the two games that he played before but he's likely to get moved and i think when you look at say lonzo ball and eric Bledsoe, you know they're they're firmly on the block if you get something in return for him i don't think um this team views lonzo ball as a long-term piece. He was a good three-point shooter last year. He hasn't really had the same amount of luck this season um, from deep. And if he's not shooting, I don't know how much he helps you in the half court. Good transition point guard, right? Making the right read to get an easy bucket. But he doesn't do a ton else. There's a lack of aggression in him. He won't drive into the paint even when he's surrounded by shooters out there and the spacing's good. He can't really finish around the rim. You know, I think they just kind of look at him and are saying, hey, as a restricted free agent, we don't want to pay you. So if you can get anything for him, I think that certainly kind of helps the Pelicans with their long-term outlook for this. And it's same for Eric Bledsoe. I think the reason his name isn't brought up a ton is he probably has the least amount of value just due to his contract compared to those other two guys. But if, they, if there's a team that wants him and they're willing to give up something, I have no doubt New Orleans will happily move on from him just because he's been really, really inconsistent. And his defense, at least for him, has definitely been uh, below par this year. So I think they're looking towards the future They want to free up more minutes for Kyra Lewis jr. For Nikhil Alexander Walker.
0: And you've got to move these guards out to do it. Thank you for bringing up those two names because that's exactly where I was going next. That The Pelicans you know, envisage these two as being the backcourt of the future. Um, you know, Kyra Lewis as the point guard and Alexander Walker as more of a combo scoring guard type of play. Now, personally, I like Lewis better as, as the prospect, but it's been Alexander Walker who's had uh, the runs on the board at this stage um, through you know the extra year and just the extra opportunities. What do you think the chances are that we get a game this season where the Pelicans start Lewis and Alexander Walker together?
1: You've got to think it's coming right like it's it's a little annoying. They haven't done it already. But at the same point new coach trying to instill his own systems. Maybe you don't want to go with the two kind of more unproven guys and look Kyra Lewis Jr has been very unproven. Um, But I I would be shocked if that doesn't happen at some point. That's that's the backward they envision. I'm with you that I have Kyra Lewis uh, Jr a little bit ahead. Not even a little bit ahead, significantly ahead of Nikhil Alexander-Walker, but they want to give this a shot and you're going to hit a point this season when maybe they're out of contention or what have you, or injuries or trades, and you're going to see both of them starting in the backcourt at
0: some point. I can't wait. It's going to be exciting to see exactly what happens with this Pelicans team. Um, We didn't even touch on Brandon Ingram or Zion Williamson. That's how much other stuff is going on (laughs) at the moment, Jake, but thank you for coming on and talking about the Pelicans on Lockdown NBA. If you want to hear about Zion, if you want to hear about Brandon Ingram, go and check out Lockdown Pelicans. Jake, thank you. Of course. Thanks for having me on, Josh. The Super Bowl is coming up. NBA games are happening every day. So if you want to put your sporting knowledge to the test, there's only one place that has you covered and one place that we trust, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you get a 50% welcome bonus. Do you want to take a uh, a player prop on how many yards Tom Brady is going to throw for it in the Super Bowl? Do you want to have a player prop on how many points Damian Lillard is going to score in Portland's next game? Bet online can get you covered with that, no problem. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And Built Bar is back. The best tasting protein bar ever has returned straight into our lives with six new flavors. Caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, apple almond crisp, and that joins the original roster of 12 flavors. Maybe some of those are going to have to get sent down to the G League. There is just so much talent on this Built Bar roster. The original... Original flavors, salted caramel, orange, coconut, they're covered in 100% chocolate, these bars, and they're soft and easy to chew. They are great if you're looking to lose or to maintain weight while also indulging in a delicious treat. Low calorie bars, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, great for a keto diet. The cookies and cream bar, the new flavor, 17 grams of protein. Only a measly 130 calories and just 4 grams of sugar and 4 grams of net carbs. So go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your next order. The promo code is LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. On the Rejecting the Screen podcast feed right now, hosts Adam Stanko and Noah Kozlova honouring Kobe Bryant's life and career with a two-part special podcast event. Hear stories you haven't heard anywhere else from Kobe from, about Kobe from teammates, opponents, coaches and journalists. Get both parts by subscribing to the Rejecting the Screen podcast feed after this podcast. Now I'm joined by the host of the Locked on Celtics podcast, John Corrales is here to uh, to speak with me. John, the Celtics... Only won two out of their last six, and I don't think that's really being mentioned a huge amount, at least nationally, maybe it is in Boston in local media, but only two out of their last six. And now they're dealing with a calf injury to their most important defensive player. I don't think that's really deniable. Marcus Smart, who's going to be out for the next year, two to three weeks with this calf problem. Is there anything to worry about here? Um, I, I wouldn't say worry about because I think the Celtics, this is this is kind of like their third
3: iteration of, of the Celtics. And now they've got Kemba Walker back uh, and, and he's trying to find his rhythm. Uh, Jason Tatum was out while Kemba Walker was back. And now they're all three. Just that San Antonio game was their first game together, uh, which is important because it's not like the same group of guys as last year, you know, at the beginning of last year, Kemba Walker was brought in to be the main guy and Tatum and Brown didn't really emerge until about halfway through the season. And now, obviously, both are on an all-star pace and potentially all NBA pace. So Kemba has to try to figure out how to play with those guys and, and how to integrate himself without being too ball dominant. Uh, it, it's a lot right now. The Celtics, I think, have been one of the most impacted teams by the short turnaround. And I think we're seeing it here. So, Uh, I wouldn't say worried, but they are under a little bit of a time crunch to start figuring things out.
0: How have you seen, I know it's only been small, sample size, but how have you seen the integration of Kemba into this new Jalen-Jason-led team? Because as you said, he came in to be that number one guy replacing Kyrie Irving last season, and now he has to come back and fit in as the third banana between these uh, two guys. They've only played a couple of games together, but how has that looked? Because from a outsider's perspective, from a 10,000-mile view, uh, Kemba has struggled a little bit in those couple of games where he's had to share it with Jason and Jalen.
3: Yeah, that's. I think he's trying to figure out where to to get his offense. And if we look back to the beginning of last year, I think him trying to kind of like ingratiate himself, you know, new player, new team. He he struggled at the beginning of last year as well, especially earlier in games. Um, he would he would have some big fourth quarters, but earlier in games he he kind of like was was more passive. And I think there's a little bit more of that going on here. So we're we're seeing a lot more Jalen Brown playing above the free throw line, you know, p- catching the ball off of curls and screens and going north, south, trying to attack the rim, as opposed to uh, playing more in the corners below the free throw line, waiting to catch and shoot off of drives. So you've got Kemba, who's a drive and kick guy, Jason Tatum, who's going to, who's more of a drive and kick guy. now Jalen Brown has become more of a drive and kick guy himself. So what do you do with three of those guys? You, you basically have to take turns, with one of those guys in the corners. Uh, So Kemba is playing a little bit more off the ball or trying to, playing in the corner, trying to play off of these other guys, kind of getting out of the way, being a floor spacer. Not really a role that he's used to because, obviously, he's he's a ball-dominant guy. He's the point guard, and he's used to playing off of the pick and roll. So there is a little bit of an adjustment. And I think one of the things that we're starting to see is a little bit of Jalen Brown starting to set picks. For for Kemba and and maybe a little bit more for Jason Tatum, but definitely for Kemba. I've seen it a couple of times a game. I, I'm I'm wondering if the Celtics do that more so they can at least get all three of those guys above the free throw line, force the fences to make some some adjustments and make some choices and then play off of what they read from that.
0: In the offseason, it was spoken about a lot about the Gordon Haywood absence and about how Danny Ainge turned down, perhaps getting Miles Turner in so they could get a trade exception. And then they were happy with signing Tristan Thompson to that mid-level exception to come in and be the center. I would say that has looked pretty terrible at this stage. Um, with uh, Daniel Tice now assuming the starting center role how is how's the big man rotation looking cuz the last time we spoke on this show we were talking about starting the two centers together which did not go all that well and now there's three centers to try and slide into 48 minutes with Tice, Thompson and of course Rob Williams who uh, Celtics fans as you well know will be continually pushing to be the guy that gets <laughs> all of those minutes and that just isn't yeah. that, that just isn't going to happen but how are those three centers looking is there is there a danger that someone like Thompson who is He's not playing particularly well at the moment. Is there a chance that he is just you – know, that they just say, see you later, and he is out of the rotation and it just goes down to Tyson Williams?
3: Yeah, I, this is such a tough call with Thompson right now because he is in a, a little bit of an unfair position. He came to Boston. He came in with a hamstring strain, so he missed most of a short training camp. Uh, he only just started – uh, to to play with those guys right as camp ended, and then he walks right into these two big lineups, because, because Kemba wasn't there, and now Kemba's back and Jalen's back, and he he's he's gone through all these different versions of this team, and his role has changed probably three times, and he hasn't had really the time to really take hold and and figure it out, and and he was obviously. With the Cavaliers, they weren't in the bubble. He had a long stretch of not playing NBA basketball, so he's he's one of the most negatively impacted guys here for, with with this whole restart situation uh, this season. The quick turnaround. So, in my opinion, the Celtics need Tristan Thompson because he's their strongest center, and he's the guy that 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 maybe best embodies the the defensive philosophy of being able to switch while still maintain strength and length down uh, on, at the center spot. So they, they owe it to him to give him minutes and have him try to figure it out. The question now becomes, is it better to start him with the starters and let Daniel Tice come in and, and because he's established and he knows what he's supposed to do and, and be the backup guy? Or is it better to just start Daniel Tice, which they've been doing recently because he's got the continuity and you want to start off good and you let Tristan Thompson figure it out against the backups. And obviously, yeah, Robert Williams is a guy that, that needs minutes too. Can they get away with playing like 15, 15 and 15 minutes, you know, and, and however the the, the other three shake out, then however, that that's how it goes. But I, I think the Celtics need to be fair to Tristan Thompson, because unless they make a move where he leaves somehow, and I don't think that's happening, they're going to need him. They're going to need him against Philly. They're going to need him against these bigger teams. So, so they need him to
0: develop. Who do you think is the guy that's going to have to step up here for Marcus Smart? Uh, You know,
3: I, I think that when you, Look at the bench. It may not be a a guard because Jeff Teague has not been great. Yeah, he's
0: he's been Uh, he's he's been been not rotation level. Yeah,
3: he's been bad. So um, I mean, unless he finds himself in a pure backup role with the ball in his hands a lot and the knowledge that he's going to have that time, and maybe that allows him to play more up to his potential, then maybe I'm thinking actually it's going to be somebody like Grant Williams because. They're probably going to start, you know, they're still going to start Kemba, Jalen and Jason and Daniel Tice. Now, who's that fourth guy going to be? They're not going to put in another guard. I think they're going to they're going to get Grant Williams out there or Shemi Ojale. And one of those two guys that plays that that four spot or small ball five is going to have to be the guy that steps up. Uh, Eventually, Peyton Pritchard will come back off of his knee sprain. But he's he's not going to be nice. that ready to to jump right back in. So I'm looking at I'm looking at Grant Williams and Shemi Ojolie as probably the most important role players to kind of step up and fill somewhat of a void. So so the Celtics can can get through this because with that rescheduled game now in February, three weeks means potentially 11 games for Marcus Smart miss. that's that's a lot.
0: I guess the, the Celtics would have loved to have had, say, Romeo Langford be healthy all this season and maybe see him step into that defensive wing type of role with yeah. slight absence. But, of course, he's not around. Um, they could also go back to just putting uh, Tyson Thompson into that starting lineup, uh, John. I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't put that past Brad Stevens at this point. We'll see how that all looks. But, of course, the Celtics have got their challenges at the moment. You'll have it covered for us all over on Locked On Celtics. John, thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. My pleasure. In each and that'll do it for another episode of Locked On NBA. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Spotify. Leave us that five-star review. Tell your friends, share it on social media. Hey, follow me on Twitter as well, at RedRock underscore Beeble. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.